Well, we're finally going to be in chapter 12 of Romans. We've finally made it through the very great doctrinal chapters of Romans, and now we're into the real practical section of Romans, beginning with chapter 12. And we've been through some heavy things together, like predestination and all of those heavy things of God having no favorites and yet being gracious to Israel and as well as to the Gentiles. So we'll take Romans chapter 12 and get started in this evening. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, this is verse 1, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The word beseech is to lovingly implore. It is like, you're just sort of like you're begging someone to do something. That's the word beseech. You do it with love, not fear. Of course, they don't hit you over the head if you don't do it. That's not it. I beseech you. I lovingly implore you. I beg you. After all of this, which God has done, and he's told us about in the first 11 chapters of Romans that has set all those great foundational truths and principles. He says, now I beseech you, lovingly implore you, since all that's been done for you, brethren, by the mercy of God, mercies of God. The mercy of God is always withholding of merited judgment. Withholding a merited judgment is the mercy of God because God's judgment has been withheld and only his great grace and love has been manifested. Therefore, I just beg you, brethren, that you present your bodies. To present your bodies, the word present is to yield it, to give it, to present your body. It's, I understand the word present. You know, like tonight you presented your bodies here. That simply means you're here. And this is what he said, that you present your bodies. You give your bodies. You yield yourself. You make the decision in your mind to give your body as a living sacrifice because of everything God did for you. You give yours as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Oh, golly, you know, so many times in religious circles you hear people talking about, well, boy, I'd lay down my life for the Lord, or, you know, I, I'd be poverty-stricken for him, and, you know, all of that stuff. God never asked you to do that. He asked you to live for him, not die. His son, Jesus Christ, died that you and I might live, right? See? They, the whole religious trip is all negative, all wrong. They talk about you bearing the cross. Gosh, if you for one minute could bear it, then Christ blew it. There is no man that was good enough to bear the cross except the Lord Jesus Christ. And he became sin with our sin. He became sickness with our sickness, the prophet said, pain with our pain, so that you and I could become the righteousness, the love, the greatness of the power of God. And he beseeches us to become a living sacrifice, not a dead one. What good would you be if you were dead tonight? You couldn't speak for God. I'm only good to him as long as I'm living. 
and we're to be a living sacrifice. After all of the greatness of this word of Romans 1, 3, 11, those tremendous principles of truth, the great Magna Carta of Christianity. Then he says, now with all that, everything God did for you in Christ Jesus, therefore I lovingly beg you, I plead with you, that you present, yield yourself by the free will of your mind to be a living sacrifice. Now, a dead sacrifice is burned. A living sacrifice is one who burns with life. See? One who gets out there and's turned on. Not some old nincompoop like a long-faced cow, but somebody that's alive, that's vital, that's sharp, that's always out there living it, speaking it. Those two words, living sacrifice, mean constantly living for him. I want to show you that what part of that constant living is that are in other sections of the word in Ephesians. Chapter 5. Constantly living for him, a living sacrifice. Look at verse 2. Walk in what? Love, as Christ also loved you and gave up himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's spiritual Chanel number five, sweet-smelling savor. See? Walk in love. Why? Because Christ loved us and he gave himself. He paid it. He paid it so that you and I could live a life that's more than abundant. Be more than conquerors. But we walk in love. In verse 8, For ye were sometimes or once darkness, blindness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Proving what is acceptable. In other words, proving and demonstrating, proving it by demonstrating that which is acceptable as a living sacrifice. In Philippians, there's one coming up in Romans in one of these nights that'll be real interesting along this line too. Knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Time to awake. Living sacrifice. You don't sleep away at Christianity. You wake up and do something with it. I said Philippians. Chapter 2. Look at this. 2.17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your believing faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. You see, you're a living sacrifice. You pour out your life for others until they are at the place they can pour theirs out. This is the kind of stuff that I know is in the Word. And when I use phrases in teaching at times like, you just have to let people walk on your feet until they learn to walk on their own. Or you just have to love the unlovable. These are the kind of things that are up in my IBM mind how we are a living sacrifice. We have to be broken bread for people until they learn to break their own bread. It's this kind of thing that goes through my mind when I sometimes use that poem, God has no hands but our hands. 
with which to give them bread. He has no feet but our feet with which to move among the almost dead. We say that we are his and he is ours. Deeds are the proof of that, not words, and these are the proving ours. It's being a living sacrifice, continuously living for him. Chapter 4, Philippians. There are many of these in the Word. I just picked out a few of them just to show them to you because it's just fine. 4.18, but I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Ephroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to what? They were living it. The people were living it. You see, like in the ministry, without abundant sharing, if you're born again of God's Spirit, you're not living the will of God. Now, Hebrews, I want to show you one. Hebrews 13. Verse 15. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his what? Right. But to do good and to communicate forget not. For with such sacrifices God is well what? See the sacrifice God wants is not a dead one. He wants a living one. He wants your life and mine. That's it. See? He wants us to give our best to him. Not our third best. He wants our all. Because he gave his all through Jesus Christ to make such a fantastic spiritual experience and blessing available to God's people. And we have just lived so far below par because, well, number one, nobody taught us. And secondly, if we were taught we don't believe, then we got the problem too. I want to show you one in Romans 6. We'll go back to Romans here. It's a beautiful one in here. 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments, word instruments, same word as the word weapons, of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from what? And your members as weapons or instruments of righteousness unto God. See, we're alive from the dead. And because we are, therefore, we yield, same word as present in chapter 12, verse 1, same Greek word, because we, have, we are living sacrifice. Then comes the word holy in 12.1. The word holy is simply because you're set apart for God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, set apart for God, acceptable unto God. The third category, acceptable unto him. Because like the scriptures that I just read to you, we have the love of God. We treat people the beautiful way that we read in those references from Ephesians and Philippians and so forth. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. One of the translations is religious service, but I think it's better if we simply go with, which is your logical, because the Greek word here for reasonable is logikos, L-O-G-I-K-O-S. 
from which we get our English word logic. L-O-G-I-K-O-S. After all of this, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which would just be our logical service, just our logical conclusion to that which God has done for us. That's the great first verse of the 12th chapter. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Perfect will of God. <laughs> be not conformed, be not fashioned, or conformed together with this world. See? Be not conformed together with this world. But be what? Transformed. <laughs> be not conformed is the Greek word schema. S-C-H-E-M-A. And you already know that if you would take that Greek word, there's an English word, it would be transliterated into scheme. See? Be not conformed or fashioned according to the scheme or schemes of the world. The word world should be age. You just do not allow yourself to be world conditioned. You're not to be conformed or fashioned according to the schemes of this world or of this age. <laughs> I was with the Wows this morning at Owensboro, Kentucky for breakfast. I went back to the church where we got married and had a picture taken on the front steps. And I even had them, they even had a Xerox copy made from their church records that we really did get married on July the 2nd. Well, anyways, we were with the wonderful believers in Owensboro this morning for breakfast. It was an exciting time. And I taught them from Colossians 2. Because there's a verse in here, a couple of them, in verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians that literally just bless your heart according to where we're working in Romans, where it says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, you're born again, so what do you do? Walk in him. Walk in him. And verse 7 says, Rooted. Rooted. And if you're deeply enough rooted, you're going to be able to get built up. See, you'll never have a great tree without having a great root system. And the roots are always wider than the furthest leaves or the twigs on any tree. The roots go out further than all the twigs or leaves on the tree. The feeder roots are always beyond where the leaves are of a tree. It's where your root system is. You get rooted and build up in him and established in the faith. Get established. That means rooted in, build up in it. 
as you have been taught, abounding therein with what? Thanksgiving. We're not fashioned. We're not fashioned or conformed to this world according to this world, the schemes of this world. And verse 8 is exactly the schemes of the world, how they'll work you. Beware lest any man spoil. And the word spoil is carry you off as booty. It's a military term. You through philosophy. The German word is absolutely beautiful. Weltwissenschaft. Weltwissenschaft is the German. Welt is world. Wissenschaft is wisdom. World wisdom. That's the best definition of philosophy. It's great. That's how they're going to trip you up if you want to go by the world. And vain deceit. After the tradition of what? Men. These are the schemes of the world to get you to go after the tradition of men. After the rudiments. The word rudiments is outward ordinances. Boy, you see, wearing shoes does not improve or decrease the effectiveness of God's word. And people get so hung up on this stuff. See, one religious group will say, well, if you don't wear this, then you can't be spiritual. The other group goes way on the other side and says you don't have to do anything. Take all your clothes off and you can still be spiritual. Both are wrong. The balance is in the greatness of the love of God. You see, we don't teach our people you have to wear a certain hat to go to church or wear a certain type of shoes or you can't have a beard or a mustache or can't wear a red tie. But on the other hand, we don't teach that he can come in here naked either. One is as bad as the other. The balance is in the word. I hate this business of being dogged by outward ordinances, traditions of men, simply because, look, people, there's nothing you have to do except to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's nothing in the doing that ever establishes your righteousness or makes you spiritually so fantastic. The only thing that makes any of us fantastic is what God wrought in Christ Jesus, and we believed he did it. That's all. Right. Because no man is so good that even one iota of his work ever stands him approved before God. So traditions of men are the schemes of the world. The outward ordinances are the schemes of the world because they're not after whom. Isn't that a fantastic one? I'm back in Romans 12. Show you this. Be not conformed according to the schemes of this world, but be ye what? Transformed. Transformed. You don't go by the world. You go by the word. You are not world condition. You're word condition. You're not circumstance condition, but the Word of God condition. Most people are circumstance condition, world condition, but you and I are not if we really become a living what? The moment you're not right on on the Word, you are no more a living sacrifice for Him because it's contrary to God's Word and that makes you a dead duck. So, transformed. Be ye transformed. Transformed is the Greek word metamorphomai. Metamorphosis comes from it in English. This transformed is a metamorphosis. It's a changing over from like a caterpillar to a butterfly. 
It is a metamorphosis. It is translated transfigured, which means get a new figure in your mind. Be transformed. Get a new figure in your mind. In Matthew 17, Matthew 17, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them up into high mountain, and he was transfigured before them, transformed, metamorphosis, metamorphosis again. Got it? Transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as snow. A new form, a new figure in Mark, Chapter 9. After six days, I mean 9-2, took Peter, James, now leadeth him up in the high mount apart, and he was transfigured, see it, before them. As far as I know, there's only one other place that it's used in the epistles besides the one here in Romans, and that's in 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians three, verse eighteen. But we all with open face must be a sandwich. <laughs> Beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image. The words are changed, are changed is this word metamorphosis. We are changed. Are changed. Those two words are the same word as the word used for transfigured or transformed. It is the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Colossians 3. This is the transformation, be getting a new figure. Be transformed. Be transformed. 3.9, lie not one to another. If you're transformed, you quit lying, seeing that you have put off the old man, which is here in the head, that's the old man, with his deeds, and you put on, put on the new man in your head, here, boy, this is so accurate, which is renewed, up here in the head in knowledge after or according to the image the image of him the image of God that created him Christ Jesus in here God creates in you when you're born again the spirit of Christ is in you Christ is in you that's the creation now you got spirit honey but that won't do you a bit of good sir until you put on in the head what God put in the inner man. And the old man is the head. It's your head. It's as old as you are. Now when you're born again, you put on the mind of Christ. He's the new man within, spiritually, but you have to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Right. Really beautiful. That's why it says, have put on the new man. That's just so simple and yet so beautifully accurate, so rich. Put on 
the new man, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. How can you renew something if you haven't got it? If you haven't got an automobile tire, you can't renew it. What do you call it? Uh, retread it or what, whatever that is. Right. You have to first have a tire in order to be able to retread it, to renew it. You have to have a mind in order to renew it. Well, every person born, body and soul, child, as it develops, has a what? Mind. Now when that child accepts the Lord Jesus Christ born again, it also has Christ in the spirit. According to the image of him that created him in here, now you renew your mind. Renew it. To renew it. Which means put a new figure up here. Be transformed. Put a new figure up here. Change your stupid head is what it means. Change your thinking according to the word. Boy, this stuff is just so simple and beautiful and so dynamically real, so logical. You don't allow yourself to be conformed to the world. You've been there all the time till you got born again. And after that, you're no longer world-conditioned. You want to get word-conditioned, right? And this is how you do it. You get the new figure in your mind. You tell your mind, look, baby, you believe what the Word says. You track, honey, right up here. I'm in control of you. So you shut up with all the negative. You say what the Word says. You put it on right there. Transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. When you'll see this again with everything I've taught the core on the first 11 chapters, man, you'll see the fantastic renewed mind position in the Word in Romans like I've taught before. The reason they've never understood Romans, they didn't understand renewed mind. They didn't understand spirit. Because people have always taught, when you get born again, spirits in here, it takes stuff away from you. Automatically give up chewing tobacco. You automatically give up a lot of things. Spirit is spirit. Soup is soup. Apple butter isn't Cracker Jack. Okay. In order to get rid of what the old man here, you have to put up here what the Word of God says. Right. And that is the only way you'll ever get it. You renew your mind. You can renew it. You're in control of it. You have freedom of will. You can either follow the way to God or you can tell God to go blow it. You're in absolute control. Boy, it's just terrific. <laughs> Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove that ye may prove. The Greek word is spelled D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O, long O. Dokimazo. And I'll spell it again, D-O-K-I-M-A-Z-O, long O. That ye may prove that you can document it. It is a continuous proving, a continuous documentation to the end of approving. Let's say it this way. It's continuous proving to the end of approving. That would make great sense. That you may prove, that you may document, 
what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good is the effect produced as a benefit. That's what's good. The effect produced as a benefit. There are a lot of effects produced by different things. But is it a benefit? If it's a benefit to you and the body of Christ, then the word uses the word good. That you can prove or document that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And that word perfect, again, is very interesting to me because it is the word teleos, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. That's the Greek word. And we have telos. Telos, the tail end of the dog is the tail, right? That's the tail end of the dog. But the tail end of the dog has an end to the end of it. When something is final, when it's complete, right at the end, it's the word telos. Otherwise, it's the word suntalia. But the tail end of the tail is talos. And we are to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect. The end of the end. The final, the complete will of whom? God. That's it. That's the great second verse. (laughs) For I say, Verse 3, through the grace given unto me. Grace is divine favor, unmerited favor. Perpendicular, God demand, that's grace, given unto me. Boy, even that, you know, you could go back and pick up some beautiful scriptures to fill in there if you were going to really teach this at a twig gathering or something. (coughs) Remember scriptures like where Paul says, I am the least of the apostles. Here he says, For I say through the grace given unto me. You'd have where he has the record how he persecuted the church, even though he said he did it in ignorance or unbelief. All of those could be fit in here, placed in here. For I say through the grace, divine favor given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. To every man that is among you, to every man, the word man is one, to everyone. Man is an inclusive noun you ladies are in. Uh, To everyone that is among you. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to be high-minded, conceited, this kind of stuff but to think soberly, to think sober-mindedly. And it's just the opposite of a drunken man who walks along and he weaves and stumbles and falls on his nose, this kind of stuff. Just the opposite of someone who is alcoholic and drunk or something. That you ought to think, but to think soberly, sober-mindedly. See? It has to be an estimate of oneself according to the word of God, to what Christ did. They usually wrest this scripture out of its context and they say, now, look, you be careful. Don't you get conceited or you'll go flat on your face. Don't you get haughty and high-minded or God will knock you for a loop. 
That's not in here for that purpose. If it's in here for anything in context where he beseeches you, brethren, to present your bodies, it's still the same context. I would say that most people have thought of themselves far below par compared to those few who have ever thought themselves even equal on par with what the Word says. Most people always dog themselves. They're always living in condemnation and fear and worry and anxiety. That's like the drunken man. They're drunk. They're off the Word. We're to be sober-minded. And that means you say you are what the Word of God says you are. You say you have what the Word of God says you have because you are what the Word of God says you are. You have what the Word of God says you have. You'll be what the Word of God says you'll be. Has nothing to do with your feeling, has everything to do with what God wrought in Christ and what you received when you believed on him as your Lord and Savior. I think the verse has been done great damage by theologians, religious leaders, commentaries, Sunday school quarterlies, because it's always driving people down. They use it that way. Now, don't you think of yourself more highly than you ought to think? What they're saying is, look, think of yourself as being stupid, as being defeated, as being no good. Some of us went through that teaching. That didn't help us any. We just thought of ourselves as no good, and we had to carry out the part. And, you know, you can't go beyond what you taught. So if somebody says you're no good, you've got to go out and act it. It's like give a dog a bad name, he's got to bite you. <laughs> uh, see, but we're to think how? Soberly. Boy, oh boy. And to think soberly, Skip, is to think the Word. It's nothing but the Word. You think what the Word says. Renewed in your mind. Well, where do you do your thinking? In your feet? No, in your where? Head. Be renewed. Think, think, think. Most people just think they think. They never get around to thinking. If they ever got around to thinking, most likely to blow all their spark plugs or something. <laughs> and you think soberly, soberly, according as God. You think according as God. What God did, as he dealt, hath dealt, God hath dealt, God hath dealt. Look, if in your card game somebody does dealing, <laughs> this is God's spiritual card game. How's that? Who did the dealing? Okay, and if a dealer gives you a royal flush, have you got a royal flush? Yeah. Well, then we have what God dealt, right? Now, just read it very carefully because it is a biggie. According as God hath what? Okay, now, just think. If God dealt something to you, then have you got it? Even if you think you haven't, you still what? And the re only reason you think you haven't is because you haven't renewed your mind according to what God's Word said you got. Somebody else, you went by tradition or outward ordinances. <laughs> See, and they took it. They told you you didn't have it. Since you can't feel spirit, they told you you didn't have it. So what do you think? You say, I ain't got it. You're a liar. The Word says you have Oh boy, this is something. Think soberly, as according as God has dealt. Well, what is God's dealing? What did he deal? He did the dealing. As I said, if you're playing card, you get a royal flush or whatever. What's the, oh, you got six aces. That'd be pretty good. 
That'd be darn good. <laughs> You're most likely to get shot if you got a pistol. Right? That's a few too many. But if you had four aces, I guess wouldn't be bad, would it? And jacks are wild, give you five. Huh? Uh, look, that, I'm not trying to be funny, but man's funny. They, they, they believe that's tremendous because somebody did the dealing. But God says he deals some, and everybody says, oh, no, I didn't get what God dealt. You got exactly what he dealt. Let's get honest once with God and his word in the core, and so the core can carry the light of the word to other people. Because you've got to be broken bread for others to learn to break their own. God has dealt. God hath dealt. God did the dealing. To every man, every man, meaning everyone, inclusive noun, everyone, everyone, every man, everyone, the measure of faith. God dealt it. God dealt it. Boy, how far we've lived below par because of our teaching. How negative we've been because of teaching. That's right. When you walked in this door for this core meeting tonight, did you park your leg outside? <laughs> you put your eyeball up here on the windowsill? No. You came in with what you are. Right? Now, do you think you're better than Christ? I don't either. <laughs> That's right. So when Christ came in, when you're born again, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, did he leave his leg outside? He came in with everything he is. Boy, what a fantastic truth. You see, in the Gospels, they didn't have that. That's why they were taught to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I had to pray for daily bread. You don't have to. Why? Because Christ is where? In. And he said he would supply all our need, Philippians 4, according to his what? Riches in glory, through whom God's going to supply all of it. And part of your need is daily food, physical bread, right? Is he going to supply it? So it's not a matter of praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. It is a prayer of thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for giving us our daily bread according to your word this day. The prayer of thanksgiving. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in what? See? That's all in the measure. In the measure. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the measure of faith. It's the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the measure. Here's the cup. This is the measure. You can't put a gallon in this cup because the measure is not a gallon. Now, you, you, if you want to get a gallon, you pour it out a few times. You can only put in this cup what the measure is, right? Well, bless God, that's what the Word's talking about. God hath dealt to every man the measure of the faith of Jesus Christ. Christ in you. Man, what a measure. Look at what you are in Christ Jesus. Christ in you. See, the Bible says God was in Christ. Listen, Colossians, for in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. Head God, there is one head God, there are other, there's another God too, but he's not head God. He's the God of this world, I know that. 
And then there are a lot of other little gods, devil spirits under all those, and that second dude. Uh, in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of God, the head God bodily. God was where? That's right. God was in Christ. Now when you're born again, Christ is where? And God is where? God in Christ in you. Man, oh man, oh man, are we ever going to walk on God's word or just use them as words? Do you think maybe that gives you a little power? You walked in tonight with what you are and your strength is what you are. Tonight, with Christ in you, the hope of glory, with God in Christ in you, no wonder we can be more than conquerors if we quit talking about it and go to practicing. No wonder we can have a more than abundant life in manifestation. We just start practicing. But you've got to get off of the rudiments of the world, off of the tradition. You've got to come back to the Word and confess what the Word is and be transformed with a new figure in your mind, renewing of your what? That's right. And verse 10 says, you are complete in Him. Man, if you're complete, then you don't have to pray for it. You're complete in Him. You're com it's Christ in you and you're complete in him. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Not high-minded. Man, oh man, it'd take a pretty high mind to get beyond that one. God in Christ in you? High-minded? No, but we're sober-minded. But we confess we are what the Word of God says we are. And ladies and gentlemen, I confess it when I don't feel like it. Doesn't make any difference what I feel like. Salvation doesn't depend upon my feeling. Feelings come and go, but the word of God liveth and abideth forever. So you don't go by feeling, you go by the word. And when you go by the word, you finally get feelings that bless you, I guess. Boy, there's what it says. Think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man, to everyone, the measure of what? Which is the faith of Jesus Christ. Boy, what a blessed day that was when I learned this in research. And if people ever ask you again what the way ministry is, just tell them very simply, we're a biblical research center, we're a teaching center, and we're a fellowship center. It's like tonight with the core. Biblical research, teaching, and fellowship. That's all we are. We're in biblical research. Boy, He's dealt the measure of faith. The measure of faith is the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the measure. And what a great day it was in my life when I finally learned that I had the faith of Jesus Christ. Because everybody was always telling me if you had a little more faith, I'd get some prayers answered. You know, if I had a little more faith, then I could live better. If I had a little more faith. Lord, so I was always trying to get more faith. God hath dealt to everyone the measure of what? Okay, then she's a Christian, he's a Christian, they have the same amount of what? Whose faith? Who, who's going to improve on that one? <laughs> How are you going to get any more than that, man? That's all you're ever going to get. That's all there is. How could you get more if there ain't any more? But that's the faith, and everybody has it. Then there can only be one reason why people live so below par. Number one, they haven't been taught. Or number two, they don't want to learn and carry it up. That's all you got left. By sheer logic, honey. If it's true that when you're born again, you have Christ in you, like the word says, and you have the measure of faith, and then if people continue to deny that and live below par, it can only be because they haven't been taught or because they don't want to believe. 
So it can be. And the reason one person manifests more than another is because that individual believes more, has more transforming of the renewing of what? Now, that will fit with life and everything you'll ever see in the whole gamut of what we're dealing with here in Romans 12.